Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Next Level Christianity series, which walks through the book of Philippians, seeing how God wants us to grow to the next level. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. From from the book of Philippians, or a verse from it, maybe a thought that you didn't even know, came from the book of Philippians. Uh, a lot of people quote, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's the, in the book of Philippians. They've quoted, uh, I'm confident that he started a good work in me and he'll finish it. That's from the book of Philippians. Uh, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians. Uh, there's so many things in the book of Philippians that I think uh, this series is gonna be a huge help to us. The book of Philippians was written, of course, uh, by Paul. It's called a, a prison epistle. The word epistle, honestly, it just means letter. Uh, it's a prison letter from Paul uh, to the believers at Philippi. We'll see more about that <coughs> here in just a minute. But it's one of uh, four books or one of four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And uh, I would ask you if you know all four. Well, let's see if you do. Let's have a Bible trivia. Who thinks you can name the four or at least one of the prison epistles other than Philippians, okay? Yes, ma'am. That's close. We're good. We got two of them, Ephesians and Philemon with Philippians. But Galatians, I was surprised too. I thought it was one. It's not. Somebody else, you got one? Uh, Nope. Now, now everybody's like, I ain't raising my hand, man. I ain't doing it. So Colossians, the four is uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I always thought that Galatians was as well, but as I began to do the research, and now I remember it from doing our Acts series, that it wasn't. But uh, man, those four letters written, they were all written when Paul uh, was under arrest there in Rome or while he was being transported to Rome. And it's interesting because probably two of the books that stand out most in people's lives uh, from the New Testament is Ephesians and Philippians. And usually it stands out because of the encouragement that's found in them. Isn't it awesome that God would use Paul to write encouraging things for other believers when he was probably at the most discouraging time in his life, uh, being arrested, knowing that he, not knowing if he was gonna give his life uh, for the cause that he was being arrested for. If you were to go to the book of Philippians, there's a lot of people that think, well, there's different themes or different things about the book of Philippians. You try to to, uh, figure out what the letter deals with, but I believe after just doing some study and getting ready for this series, I'm pretty sure that the the book of Philippians, it deals with the Christian experience or the Christian life. And Paul, he writes to these believers at Philippi, helping them understand how all believers should be living the Christian life. Not saying here's a bunch of things you aren't doing, but hey, here's a lot of things that God has in store for you. God, really the whole, I think you could summarize it with one sentence, God has more. God has more for you. And as Paul would write this, he, of course, uh, was very close with the church at Philippi. This would be a place that he visited on his second missionary journey. If you were to go and uh, do a little bit of research, you could find Paul in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. His trip to Philippi, it was was one that uh, was totally directed by God. If you'll remember in Acts, when Paul was traveling on that missionary journey, he took uh, Silas with him. Remember, it was Paul and Barnabas on the first journey. 
The second time came around and Paul said, all right, let's go. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, no, I'm not going with him. And Barnabas said, no, we need to go. And there was a a little bit of an argument, some dissension between them. And because of that, Barnabas and Mark would go one way and Paul would take Silas and go the other way. And so they travel, Paul and Silas, they leave Antioch and they head on this second missionary journey, they head west. And as they start going west, he, uh, he gets all the way over to Troas. And if you were to go and kind of read the story, you know that the Bible says that when they got to Troas, uh, they, they wanted to go south, wanted to go back down south and maybe uh, do some other things. And the Bible says that the Spirit suffered them not to go. So they couldn't go north because there was water above them. They couldn't go uh, uh, south because the Lord said no. They couldn't go east because that's where they came from. And so all that was left was west. But west of them was just water. They end up there in Troas and there they just waited for God. And if you go to Acts chapter 16, you find that it doesn't give us, I don't don't believe, uh, I have to look back at it. it, I don't think it gives us a time period of how long they waited. They just waited on God and uh, of course, I think there's a great principle there that sometimes in life, don't you hate waiting on God? Man, sometimes, I don't know about you, but when you feel like maybe God's directing, you have to wait on the Lord, that's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to be, but can I encourage you in in looking at the life of Paul and even as I studied from this and found challenge in it, that waiting on God sometimes is the exact place God wants us to be. Because here's Paul, he's waiting on the Lord, he's waiting on God's timing And we read in Acts chapter 16, right at the beginning, a thing taking place in Paul's life called the Macedonian call. And Paul would have a dream of somebody saying, come over to us in Macedonia. Well, that was the Lord sending Paul this message, Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. And God would use uh, this vision, this dream, to direct Paul and Silas over into Europe. And their very first stop would be Philippi. It's in Philippi that you read that they meet uh, a young lady by the name of Lydia, and they uh, deliver another young lady from a demon possession. They start the church at Philippi, and it's there that they would face arrest. Because of delivering the girl from demon, demon demon possession, they get arrested, they get thrown in jail, and Acts chapter 16 declares for us that at midnight, Saul and Pilas, they, Saul and Pilas, Paul and Silas, that'd be an interesting name. I'm making up words and names. Uh, Paul and Silas say, that's great. Uh, the Saul and Pilas <laughs> did it for you. They just sang praises to the Lord and, and they lifted up their voice. And of course, we know that something miraculous took place. God sent an earthquake. And in that earthquake, all the jail cells were open. And that jailer awaking out of sleep was going to kill himself. And uh, Paul yells out, hey, don't kill yourself. We are all still here. And that's one of the only places in scripture that you find somebody saying, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hey, I've heard you singing. I heard you praying. I heard you going through all of this. What, what do I do? What do I do to get what you have? And of course, Paul and Silas, they present Christ to the Philippian jailer. And if you go, you do a little bit of research. I really don't even have to research. You can just read the account. They, uh, they go with him. They get, he gets baptized. And they go into his house, and they, they begin a Bible study, and they begin studying the Word of God. And it's here that we find, really, I believe, the birth of the church there in Philippi. Uh, I think in either his house, maybe Lydia's, but uh, man, when you look at this, 
So much had happened with Paul and Silas in Philippi that God had really knit his heart and Silas's heart to the people of Philippi. I know one of those people he would write back to would be the Philippian jailer. It would be Lydia. It would be uh, maybe the family of the demon-possessed girl. And <clears throat> Paul would, uh, would write back the way, of course, the Bible tells us that he just continued on his journey. And they would not hear. They wouldn't hear from Paul for um, many think two, maybe even four, two to four years, somewhere in there. And finally, finally they get word, the people of Philippi, they get word that, uh, that Paul has been arrested. And they find out that he's being transported to Rome. And so they send their pastor, uh, their pastor, they send, uh, and it's Epaphroditus, they, they send him with a gift and, and uh, they would minister to Paul's needs. Paul writes about it. They sent one to him, really just trying to encourage him. They send him a letter, and because of their gift and their letter, Paul knows what's going on with the church of Philippi, and so he writes back to them. He writes back really just to express his love for them. If you go in the book of Philippians, it actually is unlike any other letter that Paul wrote. The reason is because in this letter, Paul does not address a lot of doctrine, Uh, doctrinal corrections. He addresses doctrine, but not doctrinal corrections. Paul doesn't address a lot of actions that need to change. There's not really, there's not times in here that uh, Paul spends a lot of time calling out a specific sin like he did with the church at Corinth. No, in, in this book, his focus is just on the Christian life and understanding that God has more in store for every believer than what we could imagine. He has what we're calling next-level Christianity in store for every follower of Jesus. The fact is this, and we've said it many times, that as long as you and I are alive, God has growth waiting for us. He He has more things that he wants to accomplish in you and through you. And that's really what the, what's behind this book. And so tonight, we're going to start looking at next-level Christianity, and we're going to look at just understanding uh, Paul. He just gets to the point. Right at the beginning, he just gets to the point and tells him exactly why he's writing it, what he's writing about, and we're going to see that tonight, and I think we'll be challenged. So let's take our Bibles, Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to turn there, and uh, you can just remain seated. We'll just read the first 11 verses, Philippians chapter 1. We'll get started tonight. It says this, Paul and Timotheus... The servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. 
that ye may approve things that are excellent and that ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. We'll stop there for tonight, but I love the opening that Paul gives. And as we get to this, before we pray, I just want to ask you, have you ever, uh, you ever talked to somebody and they're just taking forever to get their point across? Hopefully you're not thinking that about the message right now. You know what? We've talked to people. We've all been there. Maybe they're telling you a story or they're telling you a joke or maybe they're just giving some advice. But as they're talking, uh, you almost get lost in the conversation before they can get to the point. You're not trying to be rude. You're, you're trying to listen, but you're just kind of thinking, man, I wish you'd cut to the chase. I know there's been times uh, that I've been talking to even our kids and, and you don't want to be rude to your children, but they're telling you a story and recapping it. And this happens. So then the other day, uh, this one friend, he's 12. No, he's 11. No, he might be 13. No, no, he's 12. He's 12. Yeah, I think he's 12. So he said, and, and I think it was actually three days ago. It might've been two, maybe it, you ever been there? And I, I'm sitting there and I'm going, hey, I love you. I want you to tell me the story, but I don't care how old he was. And if it was yesterday or two days ago, it doesn't change the story. Just spit the story out. Man, just get to the point. I remember having a friend in, in college and he, uh, we would always die laughing whenever you try to get him to ask for things. Uh, we would tour on our college tour group singing and uh, he was the piano player, and we'd always get him. His name's Aaron, still a great friend. Uh, if he's ever watching this, I'm sorry, Aaron, for saying this. But uh, he, Aaron, we'd get Aaron to uh, go and say, hey, why don't you go ask the chaperones to take us to this restaurant? Why don't you go ask them to do this? Because every time he'd go, hey, so uh, me and the guys, we were talking, and we were just wondering if perhaps maybe it was on the radar, you might maybe make an exception to, and I'm not exaggerating, that's what he would do. And we would always just die laughing, and we'd be like, hey, go ask him for this. You know, Why do you want me to ask? Just do it, man, just go ask. There's people that it takes forever to get to the point. As we come to tonight, Philippians chapter one, I don't believe Paul does that. I really don't believe he does a lot of beating around the bush. I don't believe he does a lot of fluff talk. He just gets to the point. Four simple things we're gonna look at tonight. We're gonna see Paul's greeting. We're gonna see Paul's remembrance. We're gonna see a, a confidence that Paul has. And then we're gonna look at the prayer that he gives for this church at Philippi. So let's pray and then we'll get right in the message tonight. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use scripture to shape who we are. And Lord, I just come before you tonight and I wanna humble my heart to you and recognize my need of you. And Lord, I just, uh, I ask tonight that you would use your word, that you would speak into your people and Father, you make us more like your son. I pray God that as we listen tonight, whether we're here in person or online, I pray that you would just challenge us. I pray that you'd strengthen us I pray that you would give us a reminder that you're never done working on us. We love you. We thank you for what you're uh, gonna do tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray, 
Amen. When you come to Philippians chapter 1, I see, first of all, tonight, I see a greeting. Just a simple greeting. If you go and you read some of Paul's uh, writings, you know that he often, <clears throat> excuse me, often he would start his, uh, his letters just with a, a simple greeting. But in this greeting, there's a few things that I want us to notice. I want us to see, first of all, uh, Paul's view of himself. Notice in the greeting, we see Paul's view of himself. In the very first words, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. I love when you read the, the writings of Paul, his view is often, uh, and, and really I could say always, a view of humility. Really, there's only one time that I can recall in the writings of Paul that we would say, well, he wrote this in boasting because he said that. Uh, it's in the book of Corinthians when he begins to recount who he is. And he says, hey, I'm telling you this. And as I'm telling you, I feel like I'm boasting in this. And then he says later, but the Lord wanted me to write that. But Paul often, he just wrote about his humility. And uh, in his address to them, right as he starts, his view is one of humility. He didn't start his letter by saying, hey, this is your great spiritual leader, Paul. Hey, this is Paul and Timothy, the ones that are responsible uh, for you knowing Christ. No, he doesn't start that way. He just says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, the servants of Christ, servants of Christ. The word servant here, it literally means bond slave. It means to be a bound servant to Jesus. Paul was identifying who he was, and he was identifying also what the Lord meant to him. You see, he saw that Jesus was worthy of all of his service. He saw that Jesus was worthy of all of his sacrifice. Again, remember, he's writing this from a jail cell. He's in a jail cell because of being a servant of Christ, and yet he still identifies himself as a servant of Christ. He opens up with humility, saying, I am simply a servant. We also find in this greeting who he's writing to. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, but notice he also writes with the bishops and deacons. This would be leadership, and as I look at this, I see Paul just simply saying, I'm writing to be an encouragement to all the believers. He's not writing. You know, that's interesting because he's not writing in the book of Philippians, other places he does. He's not writing to just the layman or to just the leadership. He's saying, hey, this is for everybody. This is a letter for every believer in Christ at Philippi. Then we read that quick greeting in verse number two, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, God's favor, peace, God's rest, shalom. He's just saying, hey, I want God's rest and favor to be upon your life and it should be in the heart of God's people that people we meet, that God's grace and God's uh, uh, peace is upon them. And it's, that challenge can see this. Number one, what's your view of you? You see, a lot of Christians, we view ourselves as celebrity Christians rather than servant Christians. I stated this morning that many of us, our view of us is a flawed view. We feel like we are uh, uh, a gift to, uh, God, to Christianity and to God and to his cause. And Paul could have said, he really, Paul could have said a lot to puff himself up and Humanly speaking, rightly so. Paul could have said, hey, I, 
I want you to know this is from me, the one who got out of jail because of a miracle. And hey, I want you to know this is your spiritual lead. Hey, I want you to know this is the one responsible for you knowing Christ. He could have written with some arrogance about him. And humanly speaking, Paul had accomplished some things, hadn't he? And yet he doesn't. He simply writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. We can learn a lot from him about having a a right regard for ourselves, that regard of humility. Quit looking at yourself as God's gift to people and recognize that you and I are just simply servants to an amazing God. And then I also learned just a simple thought that he was writing to encourage everybody. He wasn't writing to encourage just one simple group. And while there are times when Paul wrote to specific groups uh, uh, certain things, in most of his letters, he's saying, I'm just addressing it to all the believers. It was, that shows us Paul's heart, that anybody who would read it, he wanted to encourage them. And I think sometimes we, because we have a wrong perspective of our service, we have a wrong perspective of who is worthy of our encouragement. And sometimes we see people as worthy of our investment and other people as not so worthy of our investment. And that's not the view of a servant. A servant, think about this, a servant serves whoever the master asks them to serve. I know that you know the story in the New Testament where uh, Jesus was speaking and he says, uh, you know, uh, talking about entertaining people and talking about entertaining guests And he's like, there are some of you that you're going to be hospitable to everybody, but there are others of you that if a a homeless person came in and someone that didn't look well, uh, you would say, hey, don't sit at the table. You can sit here at my footstool. You can eat the scraps. You're not as important. And some of us, we can have that. Oh, it might not be a homeless person. It might not be, uh, maybe, maybe it, might, it might be a homeless person. Maybe it might be a racial thing. We see a lot of that in our country. And uh, man, I never, never really grew up around racism. I mean, growing up, never, never was an issue. And people talk about that now. And sad to say, there are some issues out there. But the truth is that a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is never gonna pick and choose who they invest into. It could be somebody who has totally different political thoughts than you and God still calls us to invest in them. It could be somebody that has totally different perspective about, uh, about marriage and somebody that believes maybe that uh, homosexual uh, relationships are correct and all of that and might be totally leaning that way and yet God still calls us to invest in them. And as believers though, sometimes we say, well, no, I can't do that. I can't talk to them. I can't witness to them. I can't be an encouragement to them because, and we have our reasons why not. I love Paul's spirit. Hey, I'm just writing to be an encouragement to everybody. The sad thing is sometimes we adopt that mentality and we bring it within the church. Oh, in church, we're gonna have people usually that we line up with politically. We're gonna have people usually that we line up with regarding relationships or, uh, um, or racism or different things like that. We're gonna have different people that we line up with but even in church, sometimes we think, well, you know, that person, he's, he's okay to encourage, but them, no, man, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna walk, I'm not gonna talk with them very much. And we almost can create divisions. And I love the challenge even that I received as I was studying this out, just picking the verses apart, thinking, man, I love Paul's spirit. I'm a servant and I'm writing to encourage everybody. I'm writing to encourage anybody that will listen, whether you're a saint 
you know, all the saved, but I want that to include all the bishops and deacons, all the leadership too. I want everybody to find encouragement. He says, I'm a servant here to encourage everyone. I see tonight a greeting, but notice also I see a remembrance. Don't miss this tonight. I love verses three through five as I've been studying. Probably, probably some of my favorite verses out of the passage tonight. Because Paul says this. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making a request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from now, from the first day until now. I love Paul's thought in, this, in these just three simple verses. He starts off very, very clearly in verse number three when he just says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. <clears throat> now, we might just read that, and it's, it's just a greeting. Well, you know, he's just greeting them. He's, hey, I thank God for you. And, and we say that in conversation. But the depth of what Paul says to them is encouraging to me because basically Paul is saying that these believers impacted his life so much that every time he thought of them, it was a good memory. It was a good memory. Every single memory was good. He had reason after reason after reason to give thanks for the believers at Philippi. And as a matter of fact, he, the, he said it, I give thanks in every prayer when I'm thinking of you. And then he says, with joy. So he, what's he saying? He's, I, listen, I, I thank God, every remembrance of you, I thank God about it. And always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Listen, every time I think of you, I'm thankful and it brings joy into my life. It's a joy for me to thank God for you and make a request for you. It's just a joy. It's a praise. It's a good thing. What an impact this church had and these believers excuse me, these believers had upon him. I mean, every single time he remembered them, it brought joy to him and thanksgiving from him. Maybe it was because of the great prayer times that we read about them having in Acts 16. Maybe it was because of the encouragement that they were to Paul when he was in jail there in Philippi. Maybe it was because he, as he thought about them, he recalled the openness of the Philippian jailer and, and the church getting started in Lydia's house or in the Philippian jailer's house. And maybe he just re remembers how they received him and received the Philippian jailer into, into fellowship. Whatever it was, Paul was thankful and joyful when thinking about those believers. When I thought about this, as I looked at at these verses, a thought came to my mind, and that's really a question, is what kind of an impact does my friendship and fellowship have upon those around me? What kind of an impact do I make in the lives of believers around me? Can people really look into you and in, into your encounter with them? How many of you, the smoke's affecting you? And it's been killing me the last couple days. So, uh, you know what? If you think about this, everybody, everybody has thoughts about you. And a lot of people go, well, I don't care what they think. Well, I just don't care what the, well, I just don't care. 
But the, the, the Lord says we should care. We should care about impacting people in a right way. When I look at this, I receive a lot of challenge from the testimony of the believers at Philippi. People that we will never know their names. We know one name, Lydia. We know one title, Philippian jailer. We know one past, demon-possessed girl. (laughs) But that's all we know. And yet Paul says, every single time I think about you, I'm encouraged. I wonder, what would people say about their encounter with you? Do the believers that I'm around, do they, do they thank God for my impact in their life, for being around my worship, being around my testimony? This church at Philippi, they give us a great example of having a real faith that changes who we are from the inside out because it changes how we are around people. And it changes it so much so that people look back at their time with us and they say, wow, that was refreshing. I can't wait to see them again. We all have friends like that. We all have people like that uh, that, we, that we had just spend time around. I got to be around a friend last weekend at the graduation in, in Lancaster, and he's a friend, and uh, he'd been friends since we were teenagers, but he's one that every time I'm around him, I think, man, I just can't wait to be around him again. He's just encouraging. There's people in our church that I think, man, I, I hope they're there today. They're just so encouraging. I hope I have that impact on people. We should work to live in such a way that people go through the Christian life and they think, I want to be around them. I want them at, my, at, that, at that dinner I'm planning. I want them at this game time. I want them at this. I want them at this event. I, why? Because they're just an encouragement. It's sad to say, though, that many of us, we have a Christianity that causes people to wonder what's wrong with us. We have a Christianity sometimes that causes people to walk on eggshells around us and causes people to, to just always kind of wonder about us. And I, I thought this, that we often cause people to pray for us to change rather than people that pray and give thanks for who we are. And that's a great thought. Am I living a Christianity that causes people to pray and give thanks for what God has done and is doing in me Or does my Christianity cause people to pray and ask God to do something in me? God, would you please? And no doubt we all live on both sides of that fence. But when I read about the church at Philippi and I read about Paul's remembrance, I read him saying, man, you guys were such an encouragement to me. It's a lot for Paul to say, every every time I think of you, I give thanks brings joy. I find joy in praying for you because you did so much in my life. I see a greeting. I see a remembrance. I see thirdly tonight a confidence. A confidence. As Paul writes to them, he writes about a confidence that he has. Verses that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds, and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul is saying here as we read through that. <clears throat> if you, com- if you uh, combine all of the verses, all right, we don't, 
The verse uh, um, splits in there. We really know that Paul just wrote it as one long letter. So if you were to put verses six through eight kind of in context of everything going on, Paul would be saying this. As I thank the Lord for you and all he has done in your life, I am confident that this good work which he started in you, he will complete it. He will perform it. And then he says, it's right for me to think this from the heart because we share in suffering and we share in grace. In these verses, Paul is simply saying, hey, listen, what God started in you that's a big encouragement to me, I am confident he's going to continue. Why? Because we've seen him continue it. We've seen God do it. We've seen God work and we can be confident that he is going to continue to work. In verse seven, Paul says, even as it is meet or right for me to think this of you all, here's why. It's because I have you in my heart. Why do I have you in my heart? Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. What he's saying simply is we've seen God work in amazing ways and we can be confident he's going to continue this because we share in experiences together. The church at Philippi, they reached out to Paul while he was suffering in Rome. God used them to help Paul's grace, to give Paul strength. But they also, they also had the, uh, sharing, suffered ex- the, the sharing experience, shared experience of suffering. I'm all tongue twisted tonight. They had the shared experience of suffering in Acts 16. If you remember when, Acts, when Paul and Silas got arrested, uh, it wasn't just Paul and Silas that were being, uh, um, were also the, the, the tact. It was them that got arrested, but the other believers there were also the, the, the prayer meeting that started with Lydia in, in verse number 15 or 16 of Acts 16. From then on, the believers in Philippi were facing some persecution. And so Paul is saying, hey, we've all suffered this. And really, this is Paul. He's calling to remembrance all that God had been doing in them. And he's using it to remind them that they could be confident along with him that the Lord was not finished with them yet. And I love this, I love this thought because there's, there's a couple things that I simply want to bring out from this. The first is from verse six, the thought being confident in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote this to these early believers, what he wrote, it's still true today. And it's this thought, that until you take your last breath, God is working a good work in you. Hey, until you breathe that last breath, God is working a good work in you. He's making you more and more like Jesus, and he will complete it or accomplish it or perform it. But sometimes we can feel like God isn't working in us. Sometimes we can feel like things aren't happening, but when we, like Paul, reflect on the past grace in our life, we can with Paul say God has worked and I know he will continue to work. It's right for me to think this of you. Why, Paul? Because we share in suffering. Because we share in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And you've been a a partaker of my grace. This idea of being a a, a partaker is to be a, a companion in experience. Buy a house. They say working. It's like when you buy a house. They say when you 
when you buy a house, that once you buy that house, you will always be investing in it and working on it. And you homeowners here know that to be true. I was talking with Dustin about projects at the house, and uh, he made the comment, honestly, I don't think I'm ever going to be done. You, you don't. You don't think you're ever going to be done working because as soon as you think, I've got it all done, something breaks, or you go, you know, we should do that. Hey, let's do that in that room. Hey, let's knock out that wall. Hey, let's, let's uh, put in this fireplace. Why would you ever want to put a fireplace in? But anyway, that's a lot. That's, that's expensive. Anyway. Uh, you know what? You're going to say, let's do this in the yard. Hey, let's put that fence up. Hey, let's, let's rip that grass up and plant trees. Let's rip the trees up and plant grass. You know, like it's always never ending. Why? It's your home. You live there. And so until you move, you're going to keep investing there. It's a great thought. Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says this. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, you can rest assured in, when you got saved, you became the house, the temple of God, your body. The Holy Spirit moved in. And just like when you move into a new house, the investment is never going to end. When you moved into a new house, that took place. When God moved into you, the investment is never going to end. And here's the awesome truth. He's never moving out. He will complete it, Paul said, until the day of Jesus Christ. It isn't until the day he moves. It's until you see him face to face. He's working in you. No wonder he calls it a good work. It's always making it better. I don't know anybody that moves in a house and says, you know, I'm going to just make this worse. Purposefully, there's people that do, but you don't move in somewhere and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a horrible place to live. And God doesn't do that in your life. He moves in and he begins a good work and he'll perform it. He'll accomplish it. There's that work that's always going to continue. He says, Excuse me, he says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The simple truth is that he is always working on us, making us more like Jesus. I see that Paul was confident of God's work in them But the reason he was confident of God's work in them is because Paul had already seen God work. He had already seen God work. As Paul wrote to them about being partakers of his grace, he was saying, we are companions in experiencing the grace of God together. No doubt the believers at Philippi could step back and they could say, the, the, the Philippian believers, they could look and they could say, wow, wow, God has done a lot in Paul's life. Wow, look at all these churches Paul has started. Wow, God is really working in him. And they could do that and it could cause them to get a little discouraged. It could cause them to say, why why doesn't God work in us like he has in in Paul? And here's what Paul is saying to them in verse number seven. Hey, God has worked in you. And it's right for me, that's verse six, God is continuing to work in you. Verse seven, it's right for me to think this because 
you and I are bound together. We've experienced God's grace together. We are partakers of his grace together. Paul is saying, God has used you to show me grace and you have experienced grace just like me. We have all seen God's enabling strength together. And because of that, we can know that he is never going to give up on us. So can I tell you this morning or this evening that if you ever find yourself facing discouragement and feeling like God is not working in you like you want him to, when you do, when you, when you do that, when you think that, man, just look back at God's grace in your life. Remember the work that he has done and you'll believe that he will continue to work. I love how one author penned it in thinking about this and reflecting on this. He said, now my friend, let me ask you this. Is this practical for you and me? I don't know what your circumstances are, but if you are a child of God, I am sure you can testify that God has brought you up to the present moment, hasn't he? Can't you look back over your life and see how God has led you and provided for you? Then why should you be concerned about tomorrow? Do you think he's going to let you down now? I love that. When you think, man, God's not working in me, The thought is from Paul. Hey, God's grace has already worked in your life. He's not gonna quit. He's not gonna stop working. And so I would tell you on times when you get discouraged and times when you you think, why isn't God working in me like he is them? You and I, we just need to look back at what God has done and we will be more likely to see what God is doing. Stop having this uh, this spirit, and I I can have it as well, a discouraged spirit that says, "Why why aren't I seeing God work now? The reason is we're trying to see God work the way we think he should. And God is not bound to work the way we think he should. As a matter of fact, we probably wouldn't want him to work the way we think he should. And this is what Paul is writing to them. It's right for me to think this. Why? Because we have been through this together. We are, we, you're partakers of my grace. We are together in this enabling strength. We've experienced it. And so we can be confident that it's going to continue. And it's with that confidence that we look at this last thought when Paul writes a prayer. He says this in verse number nine through 11, verses nine through 11. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer for them was simply this. I am praying that your love would grow in knowledge and judgment. What's that mean? He was praying that there would, the phrase of abound yet more and more. It means to superabound, to grow and grow. I'm praying that you would understand God's love and how to love this concept of love because all of Christianity is based upon the love of God. I'm praying that your love would just grow and grow, that you'd be able to understand it in knowledge and discernment, judgment. Well, why would you be praying this, Paul? I'm praying it so that you can approve or examine things that are excellent, of more value, so that you can be sincere, it means to be genuine, without offense, faultless, until the day of Christ when we see him. 
Why? Because this will help you be filled with the fruit of the characteristics of righteousness which come to you by or through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I believe these verses to be key in understanding the entire letter of Philippians. Paul was writing to encourage them and remind them that the Lord is never done with them and that God will always help you grow. That your love would grow more and more. Why? So that you can examine things that are more valuable so that God will add the fruit or righteous, the character, fruits of righteousness, which is characteristics of God to your life. Paul is simply saying this. The Lord's not done with you. He has more for you to accomplish. He has growth to take place in your life. And that's my prayer for you. What a prayer request. I want you to think about it. And I, re I recall preaching through the book of Colossians. And as I preached through the book of Colossians, we looked there in Colossians chapter number one when Paul wrote and said, man, I wanna, I wanna encourage you even though I'm in jail. I find the same thing in the book of Philippians. And I see Paul as... As he sits down there in his, in his jail cell and he begins to, to pin on that piece of paper or that parchment, he begins to write to them. And he writes, I'm a servant of Christ. Just want to be an encouragement to the layman and the leadership. And every time I think about you guys, you bring, you bring thanksgiving and joy into my life. And wow, as I think about this, I'm confident that the work God has started in you, he's, he's gonna keep working it. And we, we've already seen that happen. We've already seen God grow us. We've already seen God work in us. You're, we're partakers of grace together. So as I write this, I wanna give you a prayer request. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your love and your judgment of love and discernment of love I'm praying that it would grow, that it would abound more and more so that you can examine, determine, discern what valuable things to invest your life into. I'm, I'm praying that you will do this because then it's gonna bring about the fruits of righteousness, the characteristics of God in your life. And I... I know often I, I get so frustrated at how I preach because I feel like I just don't explain it well. But as I read those first 11 verses, man, I just get Paul's heart. And his heart is, man, we have seen God do some great things and he's gonna continue. That's why I'm praying for your love to abound more and more. That's why I'm asking God to help you discern what is right, what is more valuable, I'm praying that because it's gonna bring about his characteristics in your life. That's why Paul could write, I'm confident of this very thing. And he's gonna continue the good work. I never thought that love could really grow. You know, you could really grow in love. And then I got married. And for those of you that are married, you'll, you'll understand this. If you're not married, you can, you can grasp this just by maybe watching other people's marriages. 
But isn't it interesting that when you get married, man, you think you love that person and it could never, like, I, this, my love for you is never gonna get bigger. But then you meet that couple that's been married for 50 years. The couple that still loves each other after 50 years. And you meet that couple and they say, oh. They say to the couple that's been married for 20 years, it just gets better. They say to that couple, you, you, you really don't even know. You don't even know how incredible it is. Well, why is that? It's because the love grew. You see, a married couple, when they get married, they think they know everything about each other. After the first day, they realize how wrong they are. After the first week, they wonder, what did I do? After the second week, they think, I can cope with this. After the third week, they're like, well, I'll figure it out. I'll figure this marriage thing out. And that couple begins a journey. And it's a journey of love growing in judgment and knowledge. Knowledge and discernment. You see, over time, that young man learns that his wife, she doesn't like chocolates. <clears throat> she would rather you bring home a flower. That young man learns that she probably doesn't like to sit down and enjoy the football game. She would rather you take her shopping. That young lady learns, you know, I may never be able to make spaghetti like his mom did, but I can make a meal that he'll really enjoy. Let me figure out what it is. What are they doing? They're learning and growing in love. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you began a wonderful relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. And His intent is not for you to think, man, I love Him and my love could never grow. Oh, His love won't grow because it's already exceeds what we could ever fathom. But your love and my love can continue to grow. It's really just called growth in the Christian life. Learning to love him in a deeper and a greater way. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.